This is the Legal Innovators Interview Series, featuring in-house counsel at the forefront of change in their profession, industry, and company. Brought to you by Buchanan Ingersoll and Rooney and InsideCounsel.com. Here's your host, Craig Mills. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Legal Innovators Interview Series. Thank you for tuning in, clicking on, or doing whatever it is you did to bring us with us today. I'm Craig Mills, a shareholder at Buchanan Ingersoll and Rooney and the co-chair of the firm's litigation section. On this show, we talk to general counsel from around the country that are driving innovation within their organizations and in the legal industry. Our guest today is Janet Lee. Janet is general counsel at ANSYS, a global leader in engineering simulation. We'll talk to her in just a few moments about what exactly engineering simulation is and how it impacts all of our daily lives. But first, a little more about Janet. She's been with the company for a little under eight months. Prior to joining ANSYS, Janet was senior legal officer at Here Technologies, a global mapping and location services provider that spun off from Nokia Corporation in 2015. She's also held leadership roles at Nokia, AOL, and Renaissance Capital Group after beginning her career at law firms in the United States and in Russia. We are delighted to have her on the show today. Janet, thanks so much for joining us, particularly in light of the fact that I understand you're in the middle of a pretty horrendous ice storm right now. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Craig, for that introduction. And yeah, it's it's stormy today. So uh, talking to people about what I do is a, is a good activity for today. Well, we're kind of like the post office around here, you know, that snow, sleet, gluminite kind of thing. So the show will go on. And thank you for joining us despite the weather. Let's start by talking about ANSYS so that our audience can get uh, a better understanding of the company for which you work. It's a large publicly traded company, but some people may not know what you do. Can you explain what ANSYS does? Sure. I would I would be delighted to. One of the best things about working for ANSYS is that the, the industry we're in is, is really cutting edge and, and relevant to automation and a lot of other uh, market trends. We make engineering simulation software, which is software that allows you to simulate the operation and performance of your products virtually on, on the computer or committing to its physical form. So these days, with engineering becoming highly complex with things like self-driving cars, 3D printed rockets, like very complex stuff, the expense you save and the speed uh, that you gain by simulating the performance before you build it is more and more important uh, every day. So we're working on what is called pervasive simulation which is making simulation a part of the whole production life cycle from early design all the way through to production and even maintaining simulation during the operation of a product, which is called a digital twin. But all these uh, aspects are becoming uh, more important as engineering of products that are used every day becomes more complex. So this isn't just for flight simulators and things of that nature anymore. It's for, for product design as well. Actually, engineering simulation can apply to any product, you know, from windmills to, um, you know, even candy, the kind of candy coating on a little candy. You know, we have customers that work on things like that. So, you know, when you anything that has a design uh, could be helped by, simu- by simulation. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you a little about your career journey because it's not the typical one from high school through law school on to, you know, your first career. You were a Russian studies major in college and, and then actually went on to get your master's in Russian studies. So how did you go from 
Tolstoy to a general counsel at, at ANSYS. So you, obviously, you were serious about the Russian studies at what point. What, what changed? Well, okay, so I won't give away my age, but uh, it was about 100 years ago, I guess, that I was um, that I graduated from Harvard with my Russian studies master's degree. Um, it was it was uh, kind of the the beginning of my you know right after after college I went to graduate school and there's I guess there's no really explaining my interest in Russian studies other than just the sheer fascination with the well uh, you know the richness of the literature history political science and the language too I thought at the time I would become a professor settle down to an academic life but. Almost instantly, even at the very beginning of graduate school, I, I think I, I was already getting very frustrated with academic life, um, and, you know, that craving to have something a little more rapid fire, something with more immediate real-world impact. So from there, I think it was a pretty natural fit to study law. And once I decided that, I never looked back. So after graduating from Stanford Law School, I practiced for a couple of years in D.C., uh, and then I was recruited by the law firm of Clifford Chance, which was just opening its new Moscow office. It so happened that at the time, which was in the early 90s, uh, Moscow was, um, you know, in the throes of a, of a real uh, transformation. And we, we, uh, we were called on to support the major privatizations. Transactions were very large clients, really, really interesting um, transactions. So, one of the things we did while while we were there was form the first Russia's first investment bank, uh, and I eventually went in house there as their general counsel to help with their launch with coming back to the states. So I um, I'd been there for about about three years practicing in Russia. When I came back, I came back to California, and after practicing M and A for a couple of years, getting married and and settling down, I went in house at AOL, and I've actually been in house ever since. Um, I stayed at AOL for, for quite a while, um, and then eventually I became disenchanted with the struggles AOL um, was having, uh, trim, you know, transitioning from narrow band to broadband. <laughs> and again, I guess I'm showing my age. But uh, when I saw that AOL was also going to struggle with the transition to mobile, I jumped ship and went straight to the mobile master at Nokia, which was, you know, something I really, really wanted to do. It was a very exciting uh, move for me. And I took on the role as the lead lawyer for Nokia's research in Palo Alto. And that was one of the most fun jobs I've had. Um, inside Nokia, I moved up the ranks uh, and, you know, all the way through to Nokia's very sad decline in the mobile industry. And even though that was a difficult period, I did learn tons especially during the divestiture of the mobile phones business by Nokia to Microsoft. And eventually the business unit for which I was the lead counsel, which makes digital mapping software, your technology, was spun off uh, by Nokia. And after I was there for a while, um, I, I took the helm of the legal department at Ansys, which is, which is where I am now. That is a long and a fascinating journey. And by the way, you don't need to apologize for, you know, giving away your age. I was interested in Russian studies myself at a certain point, and then they killed the Romanovs, and that just ruined it for me. I just refused to go over there. But um, <laughs> I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we shared the same passion at one time, but that Lenin guy just killed the whole thing. But um, I figured the food would go downhill, and it turns out I was right. But 
I did want to trace back through that because you start out as a serious Russian studies major, and then even in the law, you're involved in, in the business side and in banking and finance, and that probably is entirely another interview I'd love to have with you someday about what it was like to open up the first investment bank in Soviet Russia. But then you get into a series of pretty hard technology companies, AOL, Nokia, and now ANSYS, without really any kind of hard technology background at all. Based on your own personal experience, how important would it be to someone who was thinking about going in-house with a tech company like ANSYS to have a technical background? Is it something that is nice to have and helps you out? Is it something you absolutely need to have or at least acquire or you can't talk to your client? Or does it really not matter? Well, first of all, I would comment that a love of technology is, in my mind, a huge reason why working at a tech company is so much fun. So just starting from, you know, what drives you and where are you going to find your passion. Also, scientists are the best clients, in my view. They're smart, and I generally find scientists and and kind of uh, developers with a science background very interested in other disciplines, such as the law, just being constantly curious about your own company's products and how how they work um, is, I, I think, kind of core to being a good in-house tech lawyer. But to answer your question, yeah, I did not start out with a tech background. I had Russian studies, and I think I was lucky that AOL gave me that first break to come in-house and, and uh, be a technology licensing lawyer. And, and then the... the to Nokia, that was really important because uh, that was where I learned IT law with some of the best mentors out there. I mean, the, the kind of IT practice by Nokia was so uh, rich and well-developed, and it was so much fun. So even though they knew in that area at Nokia, I quickly, you know, it takes a lot of elbow grease and, and persistence, but I think I uh, ramped up pretty quickly. You've been at ANSYS for only a little under a year, about eight months, and one thing that a lot of good leaders do when they come into a new job is they look around and they set priorities for things that they want to address. What has been your number one priority at ANSYS since you arrived? We we are working on kind of five pur- purposes in the legal team, uh, and all of the things that we're doing are around those five purposes. So the first one is preparing for growth. And in the legal uh, profession, I think any general counsel would appreciate building for scale, and that takes a lot of planning. And it's hard for lawyers to do planning around process systems, but preparing for scale. The second one is being global. ANSYS is, you know, does business all around the world. And as a legal team, we have to adjust to the local environments where we do business. So being global is the second one. The third one is what we call future-proofing, and that's where a lot of the compliance activity comes in. Uh, we work to, to make sure that compliance is effective and that things that could derail the business in the future are mitigated. The fourth one is enhancing the customer experience. Um, and, you know, you might not immediately think the legal team is, is go- going to be the ones driving customer experience, but for a lot of companies that are sales-driven like ours, the whole contracting experience uh, is an important part of a customer experience, and that should be as seamless as possible. And, and the fifth one, being a public company, uh, is to enhance the investor experience and make sure that governance meets expectations. So, you know, we have a, we have a scorecard around these themes. 
and we tr- try to translate those primary purposes into things that we need to do over the course of the year to constantly improve in those in those areas. Clearly, you've got your priorities very clearly and, and very clearly and well laid out. I love the concept of, of future-proofing. Uh, that's, that's a phrase I haven't heard before, but I think there's a lot wrapped up in that. I kind of wish I could do that with my hair, but it's probably not susceptible to future-proofing. Um, how would you describe – you're a manager, you're a leader within the company, you have people who work for you. How would you describe your managerial style? Are you more like Joseph Stalin, more like Jimmy Carter, someplace in the, in the middle? Like, where are you? <laughs> well, I hope I'm not a Joseph Stalin. Um, I think I am uh, quite hands-on, primarily because I'm very interested uh, in in what's going on around me and in the department. Everything from product launches to legal operations, I generally find it pretty pretty interesting. I've been told, and I think it's true, that I don't micromanage. You know, when there when there are talented team members, it's a great joy to put people out in front, clear the way for people to kind of have their projects shine. So my philosophy is is uh, inclined to be not overly bureaucratic or hierarchical. People in my team have to find jobs, but you know the best people have a lot of passion and interest in the company itself, and so they'll chip in and help others when the need arises. And that includes me. I roll up sleeves when where help is needed. I see the main role of championing um, what we're doing and making it visible, you know, how the legal team is moving the needle on those five purposes, and also to provide some direction to the team about what initiatives are the most impactful, given my position on the executive team and ability to see overall what the company is trying to accomplish. Understood. Well, thank you very much. Um, Moving to a separate topic, which is more sort of the, the business of, of, of the legal industry in the in-house position, one of the things we like to talk to our guests about is, is how the legal industry is changing. And in the past, and perhaps to some degree still in some companies, I know in-house counsel have sometimes felt as though they were regarded by some people in the company as, as almost an expense line item, and that you're not out there selling product, you're not on an assembly line making product. The contributions of in-house legal team tend to be less visible than sales or you know, shipping and receiving. But today, general counsel are increasingly playing a larger role in actually driving business decisions, driving business for their companies. Do you see that happening in your career and at ANSYS specifically? Certainly, that has been an industry trend I have observed, and it also does indeed match my personal experience. I don't see my role as, you know, being kind of single-focused, like negotiating contracts or maintaining regulatory compliance, which obviously are completely necessary and vital, again, to those five North Star purposes, it's quite a lot more than that, in my view. And I think my boss and also the company accept that the legal department has this broader mandate. I feel that the key should participate in the development of the company strategy, you know, with a seat at the executive level and operations, product launch process, customer experience, and, you know, the, the full range of things, wearing the executive hat and, you know, also the functional hat uh, about what the legal and, I, you know, teams, teams are doing. Are there ways in which you personally are trying to be a business driver at ANSYS? Well, I'm, I am, I think, actively wearing both hats uh, all the time. So it's, it's 
important to understand the business drivers and how all the stakeholders in the company understand what is growing the value of the business, the investors, the management team, the board. So my job is to help manage risk. And that, that means making smart decisions uh, and knowing when to control risk and also when to allow flexibility in the context of those competing business needs. All right. Um, many of the people who listen to our show are in-house counsel, and they're listening because they want to know about your journey and how you got to, to the place you are in your career today because, frankly, probably a lot of people would like to be you. But a lot of people who listen to the show also are outside counsel who want to get some insight into their customer uh, and to see what is important to the significant and influential general counsel throughout the company and the way they view their outside partners. How do you, Janet, view the role of outside counsel in your day-to-day responsibilities? And, and on what kinds of matters specifically do you find outside counsel to be the most helpful to you? We use outside counsel in part in sort of a traditional way with large matters like like M&A or litigation where we don't have internal manpower or the type of expertise to, to manage those on our own. And I think that kind of use of outside counsel is very traditional. And for matters like that, economics, I must say, are very important. That's when, you know, I'll spend more time negotiating alternative fee arrangements. And also, I think it's super important for for deals like that, if you're going to be spending, you know, months on end negotiating with, with a law firm on some big acquisition, the social aspects are kind of important as well. You know, whether the team that you've been assigned is smart, business-friendly, and so on, and just the relationship part. The new parts are alternative fee arrangements are evolving all the time and getting, you know, more and more creative. But for, for basic contracting uh, and kind of transactional things going on day by day, I think most uh, companies are developing their in-house teams more than using external counsel these days because because the work tends to be so tied to understanding of the business needs. It's just smarter and more efficient to use a, a honed in-house team than going to outside counsel, and it tends to be more cost-efficient, too. And what that means is that for the most important function of outside counsel becomes uh, um, advisory on a very sophisticated kind of complex level with nuanced questions of law, you know, regulations like antitrust, government regulations in, in international locations, nuanced compliance issues or, um, you, know, uh, dis- you know, maybe disputes uh, among the executives, things like that. So uh, that's where GC is really seeking a, a trusted advisor. Turning to another topic, and a more serious one perhaps, our industry, the law, continues to struggle with diversity, and especially at the higher levels. As a minority woman who has now risen to general counsel, do you see that landscape changing? Well, the whole of society is changing, I think, on questions of diversity. For a few years now, um, I'm sure you know, things have been evolving to be more concrete in in companies because the – like uh, the the movement, for example, to include women in the boardroom is is huge. And, you know, all public companies of any size are feeling that pressure from their investors to demonstrate progress. And so I think 
there are definitely corporate activities that are that are making progress in certain areas. But the real heart of the matter is breaking up the social aspect that created that all-male boardroom in the first place. In, in that uh, area, that whole kind of the social mores that created the, the situation, uh, for, for a long time, I, I just wasn't sure we were making progress. I mean, we were always talking about gender and the law and the, and the executive ranks and you know, it just felt like not much progress was being made for a long time. But but right now, there does seem to be real change in the air. So diversity movements are trying to address that underlying culture topic. You know, I guess like any other female minority executive, of course, I have experienced challenges. And I'm pretty sure I would not have had the same career path had I been a, a not been a minority woman. It, it just it simply shapes uh, one's perception and sometimes sometimes the reality of, of what the potential next steps are or, or could be and you know colors your choices. I think there are there are an increasing number of places out there where being diverse is not only a value add but also recognized as such. So I do, I do feel like there's progress, but it was a long time coming. I think for many years I I felt it, we weren't making rapid enough change. Yeah, and, and I understand what you say when you talk about there was a lot of, I don't know if you want to call it lip service to the idea of gender and, and racial diversity at the highest ranks of the legal profession, but not much changed. It was just a bunch of white guys in striped ties when you looked at the picture of the board. But now we have some more concrete metrics. Do you employ things like uh, Mansfield certification, you know, the Mansfield rule that some – law firms have taken to be able to demonstrate that for every significant position within the law firm, whether it's a section head or a board member, that they have at least considered uh, a, a diverse candidate for that. Is that something you look for, that kind of sensitivity to do, and responsiveness, direct responsiveness to diversity issues when you're looking at outside counsel? I would say, you know, it's all part of finding a company that has, has a great culture. We were just uh, talking about how these days, um, you know, some some of the biggest, splashiest companies are really, really, you know, have a spotlight on some aspects of their culture that are alleged to be, you know, what would be pretty, pretty bad. You know, you have tech companies who have a lot of allegations of beating their their employees, and you know, this doesn't mean that all the people inside those companies are bad. You know, these are just regular good people inside a bad culture. You know, it's something I think that declines gradually over a long time until bad things are normalized. Uh, and so it, it, it's, in my mind, a, a very important to keep vigilant inside a company that has a healthy culture to keep it that way. Uh, and when I, you know, seek to interact with companies I love to find those companies that have good cultures and good systems to maintain it, uh, to maintain it like that. Given where we've been in this country in terms of gender and, and racial equality, and particularly in the law, and, and where we've come to today and where we have yet to go, what advice would you give to uh, a young minority woman like you were, you know, first starting out your career, on how to succeed in, in the legal field? My advice to others out there is to always try and influence and make progress where you are. I mean, life is full of, you know, micro choices that ultimately guide you towards what you 
where your passions are. At least I, I hope that's what most people are, are is happening to most people. But you should influence and make progress where you are. But also, it's equally important in my mind that when the time is right, um, you should be aware of that and not be afraid to consider that next move. Maybe to try to change where you are. The right next move may be to find that next place. But uh, it's uh, there are a lot of choices out there, and I think that each one of us is having that impact if we want to have it in the places where we are. And, and surely your your own career reflects a lot of very successful moves from country to country and, and company to company as you worked way up. So surely you've, you've lived that advice. Um, let me turn things to sort of a, a, a different angle. What is the uh, biggest challenge that you faced in, in your career, Janet, and, and how did you manage to overcome that? When I think back on the moments when I felt discouraged, I guess I guess I would identify two kinds of, of challenges. The first, I, your listeners, I think many of them would relate to this. Many of them relate to trying to raise a young family while also working. There are difficult choices, deciding things about taking, you know, career or not, child care, juggling, and just the sheer magnitude of the responsibility of trying to raise good people. So whenever your child has a problem or you want to spend time with them, it can be really stressful. Fortunately, everything so far for me has turned out okay. I have three beautiful children who are doing fine, uh, and, the, the, you know, one of them is in college already. So... I think the way I overcame this was basically the way I think back on it was a lot of elbow grief. I had some amazing support for child care providers along the way. I, I know there's attention to this topic from a lot of smart people with a lot of good initiatives that are imagining a better way. So I hope, I hope that becomes a reality for working families who wish they had more support. So I think, I think that's the first challenge. The, the second relates back to the earlier point you made about being uh, a minority woman in the profession, which does steer your career uh, um, uh, a little bit uh, at different points uh, along the way. And I would have to really concentrate on being more aggressive about taking risks and considering next moves. Well, we are getting close to the end of our show, and I've taken up a lot of your time already today, but we'd like to close out with something that we call in closing. And in this segment, I'm going to ask you a series of relatively rapid-fire questions that are a little on the lighter side. And your job, like it or don't, uh, is to answer them as as quickly as you can according to your personal knowledge and within the bounds of the law and prudence. Um, Are you you up for it? Uh, I'm definitely up for it. I can't wait to hear the questions. I will start with a complete softball. What was the favorite place you've ever been to in Russia? Hmm. So you've probably been to St. Petersburg if you were a Russian guy. And so maybe it's St. Petersburg, wonderful architecture and art. But I'm also kind of an outdoorsy person, so I have enjoyed spending time in Novosibirsk, where maybe you haven't been, where there's a renowned university, very uh, beautiful scenery. Never heard of it, but it was probably named after a saint back in the 19th century when I was there. But, um, <laughs> but that, that's, that's interesting. That you've, you've had years over there to, to find places like that. Um, if you weren't a lawyer, what would you have done with your career? Obviously, you had this. This you, you said you, you would have gone off into academia if you could have stood the pace. Oh, I don't know, dog breeder. <laughs> what kind of dogs? I have a Bernese Mountain dog right now. 
I don't know if I would raise a whole bunch of them, though. But I will say that I'm relocating to Pittsburgh for ANSYS, and I just bought a small farm. And I don't know what the heck I'm doing as a, with farmlands, but maybe I would be a farmer. Oh, and I guess I would I would say this, that uh, now that I'm getting older, I'm sure this is happening to tons of your listeners. I think back, I think I just didn't do enough for the social good. So maybe I would still be a lawyer, but I would do something uh, uh, much more kind of um, socially conscious and, and uh, social good. Well, that's a very diverse uh, answer. It would be a farmer, a dog breeder, or a public interest lawyer. Maybe you could just combine the two and be like a pro bono llama farmer or something like that. they got a lot of llamas out there. That way. Um, All of the above. Your company, um, Ansys, helps its customers push the bounds of technology every day. What new technology that Ansys is bringing along are you most excited to see them develop over the next couple of years? Is it, is it AI? Is it self-driving cars? What, what products are you helping in development that excites you the most? Oh, there are so many. Just as I mentioned, moving, finishing my move uh, to Pittsburgh, and I'm moving in in a few weeks, and I can't wait to buy one of those robo vacuum cleaners. So uh, that's so immediate term. I guess in the future, yes. Um, I think I'll be an early adopter of all things AI. I really want a four-wheel drive electric car, which I don't think I get one yet. Uh, it's going to take a couple of years, so there's definitely electrification of cars. Self-driving, definitely. In the work context, uh, I'm looking forward to someone out there, Cisco or someone, making voice video conferencing truly easy. Uh, so we'll see about that. Yes, as, as a victim of many horrible, horrible video conference calls, I, I can I can sympathize with that. Why is it so hard? I know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's. I was on one with London the other day, and it was like the woman was in the next room, and then I was talking to Pittsburgh, and I thought they were on the backside of Mars, um, <laughs> which says nothing about Pittsburgh as a place to live. It's just it was the whole video link. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? I love being outside, and so you, we bought this little farm. I think I'll be doing a lot of uh, gardening and hiking. Uh, I don't know really what we're doing as beginning farmers, but we are planning, to your point on llamas, we are planning to have a few animals. So I think this is probably going to really preoccupy me for the next year or so. Very cool. Last question. If you had to pick one figure in history who was your favorite because they're inspiring to you or because of, of the, the depths or impact of their accomplishments, who would that be? Keeping to our theme that we were talking about earlier, I'm going to pick uh, Marie Curie. Br- brilliant person, obviously, but but what's interesting about her, it's, it's all the themes I love. It's science. It's kind of total glass ceiling shattering. Uh, the way that, you know, in her time, uh, it was such a breakthrough that she was a woman in science. And it's so humanitarian. You know, we were kind of reaping the benefits of her work of the work today. So there are so many, but uh, I'm going to put that one. I'm going to take that one. And an, an excellent choice indeed. Well, Janet, thanks so much for coming on our show today. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Ladies and gentlemen, this will wrap up another edition of the Legal Innovators Interview Series. Be sure to join us the next time when we speak to another general counsel at an influential company that's changing the way the law is done. Until then, I'm your host, Craig Mills, a shareholder at Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Thanks for listening.